Amen. Amen. Good morning, church. Good to see you this morning. You know, um, as I thought about Memorial Weekend and even the uh, tragic events that, that took place, it's um, so hard um, in our lives when, when people and organizations um, have reputations. You know, uh, reputations is, is one of those things that kind of follow you um, wherever um, you go. So uh, even when we think about our country and how different people have different thoughts about what America is and what other countries are and what different businesses are and who different people are, that's one of those things that um, it's hard to uh, continue to have a good reputation and it's very easy um, to lose um, your reputation. Usually your reputation follows you wherever you go. Often we will um, move to a new school or to a different place and, and we feel like, hey, um, this is a do-over. Like, like I can reinvent myself and, and start um, from scratch. But um, we have reputations in all areas of our lives. Uh, on our job, um, you have a reputation in, in different ways. Uh, before I uh, was uh, the pastor, I was a plumber, I worked construction, and uh, people would have reputations for either being early at work or just coming right on time. And guys that came right on time, we called them Minutemen. And uh, that was not a good reputation to, to have because uh, in construction, uh, if we start at seven o'clock, when the bell rings, boop, and that, not, not a real bell, but it was walking out of the door, not starting to get yourself ready, it's time to go. So what would happen is if someone always came early, sitting there reading their newspaper, shooting a breeze, eating a bagel, whatever that thing was, uh, when they came late, it wasn't a big deal because you knew every single day they are here at uh, a time that would give a buffer for something that happened. But if a person uh, was a minute man, and even if they came every day like five minutes before the start time, uh, the day that they came late, and it could be two minutes late, uh, there was not the same level of grace for that individual. And we even have uh, our reputations built uh, around uh, things like our credit score. Right, your credit score is a history of your consistency in paying for something. And that is hard to change, right? It kind of follows you wherever you go. It dictates what interest rates you're going to get on something. And, and then what's even harder, right, is if you have gotten in trouble with the law, right? And uh, you have a record that also talks about reputation. And uh, a couple of quotes that I was reading, uh, D.L. Moody said, uh, if I take care of my character, my reputation will take care of itself. 
And, and, and that's pretty uh, true. Uh, another uh, uh, quote that I really like, um, and Henry Ford said it, and it, and it makes sense it would come from him. He said, you can't build a reputation on what you are going to do. Right? People often talk about what they are going to do, uh, but you can't build a reputation on that. Your reputation is built on what you've done. Other thing about reputation, though, it's um, uh, to be good and be ill-spoken of by people is better than to be bad and considered good by people. We, we see that with, with Jesus, right? Um, Jesus was good. Actually, he's the only one who was good. Um, and he was spoken of in ill manner by many people. But it's even worse when people are bad um, and others consider them good because that takes place as well. One of the um, plays that I really like is Othello, um, written by Shakespeare. And, and, and one of the guys in, in Othello said, reputation is art got without merit and lost without deserving. In, in other words, some people build a reputation and it's not really um, right for them to have that reputation. And often people can speak bad of someone and all of a sudden they didn't deserve to have a certain reputation, but it's what they pick up. And the last one, also from Othello, and this one I thought was very interesting. The same guy said, who steals my purse steals trash. Tis something, nothing, t'was mine, tis his. And I've been, and it has been slave to thousands. But he who fletches me from my good name robs me of that which not enriches him and makes me poor indeed. In other words, what he's saying is um, if someone takes my wallet, he's gained something, that kind of thing happens, it goes on. But when someone speaks about me in a negative way, it does not benefit them, but it certainly hurts me. One of the things that uh, we always have to be careful of is the things that we say. What we say about other people, what we say about their character, how we um, speak of uh, God's church, how we speak of institutions. So we're going to keep that thought in mind as we uh, go through our text today about reputation and what that means. Today we're going to find ourselves in 2 Corinthians chapter 5. We're going to read from verses 15 to verses 21. I'll be reading out of the CSB. If you don't mind, please stand for the reading of God's Word. Again, we're in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, starting at verse 15. The title of this message is, all who are righteous. And it reads this way. And he died for all so that those who live should not no longer live for themselves, but for the one who died for them 
and was raised. For now on, then, we do not know anyone from a worldly perspective, even if we have known Christ from a worldly perspective. Yet now we no longer know him in this way. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away, and see, the new has come. Everything is from God, who has reconciled us to himself through Christ and has given us the ministry of reconciliation. That is, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them. And he has committed the message of reconciliation to us. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ, since God is making his appeal through us, we plead on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. Catch this last scripture. He made the one who did not know sin to be sin for us, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Thank you, Lord, that you make all things new. Thank you, Lord, as we even consider reputation and what that means. You did not fix us up. We are new. Thank you, Lord, that what people think about us, have said about us, the parts of us that were true before we were that new creation is true no longer. All that matters is what you say, who you say we are. Help us to know that so that we can walk in that we can celebrate that, and we can live that out. We commit this to you in Jesus' precious name. Amen. Amen. You may be seated. As we consider, he made him who knew no sin to become sin. That is the paradox of redemption. He meaning God made the sinless one to be sin. Like, how is that possible? He knew no sin. He was not guilty. He was perfect. He was holy. He was pure. The absolute sinlessness of Christ. All other men and women have fallen under the power of sin. We've all experienced the power of sin. We've yielded to it. But he alone 
experienced all of that coming on him and was able to resist it. Yet, he suffered its effect on our behalf. Wow, what a thing for God to do. The prince of this world, the flesh, had no authority over Jesus. This, this thought of God making Christ, who knew no sin, to become sin, that Christ did willingly, if we think about that, Christ, who's like no other man, God dealt with him as though he were a sinner like other men. Not only as though he was a sinner, but as he were sin itself, absolutely identified with it. In Galatians 3.13, it says, he was made a curse for us. In Romans 8.3, it says, that being made in the likeness of sinful flesh, he made the one who did not know sin to be sin for us. Why? The death of Christ provided propitiation, meaning the righteous demands of a holy God was fully satisfied. God's demands for what the penalty of sin was, was fully righteous. Sin had to be paid for, and Christ provided that satisfactory payment for sin through his death. God was satisfied. His holiness was upheld. His divine wrath was averted. This is called the great exchange. He made the one who did not know sin to be sin for us so that we might become the righteousness of God. So not only did Jesus become sin for us, and that is important, but think about what God was doing in his plan of redemption. Not only that we would escape punishment, that's important, but that we might become righteous. It's one thing to pardon someone that we would not receive the penalty owed, and it would be transferred on to someone else. But the news of we being given and parted his righteousness is just as a big deal. Like we often think about things in the sense of, whew, good thing I didn't have to pay that price. But it's so much more than that, that he would transfer to us righteousness. Wow. Remember who we are. 
Remember who each one of us is. We who knew no righteousness, right? In the book of Isaiah, it says your most righteous deeds is as filthy rags. We who knew no righteousness, inwardly, outwardly, but was sinful, and we deserved and were on our way to be consumed by divine justice of God. That's where we were headed had not this atonement been made for our sins, that he might be made that we might be made righteous, that it might be accounted, constituted by the righteousness of God, that, that he has invested in us, he's imparted in us his righteousness. He's implanted that in us, and then it is practiced by us. So it's imparted. You're viewed that way. It's implanted, right? We have the Holy Spirit. We have the Word of God. And then it's practiced by us. We are able to walk out this righteousness from Jesus Christ that was given to us. The whole plan is one of substitution. There can be no salvation outside of this substitution. If, if, if you are calling yourself a Christian and you believe other religions uh, find their way to the true God as well, a, a lot of people think that. Even sitting in church, hey, I call myself a Christian but your mindset is still kind of based on my good outweighing my bad and, and all other religions are the same, like, hey, if I'm doing the right thing, if I'm good, if my tally sheet is higher, uh, I don't care if you call him Buddha, uh, Muhammad, or Jesus, it's okay, or uh, you're not a Christian. The Christian recognizes, though I was unrighteous, I was dead in my trespasses and sin. I was on my way to hell, and I deserve to be there. I turned my back on the holy God. It is Jesus that men would be set free. It is his blood that covers us. It is this great exchange that has taken place is the only thing that man may be saved. Anytime we have an exchange of some sort, we consider what that exchange is. So in other words, when you take money and you say, I'm going to buy this, 
we have a thought in our minds what it's worth. If I was going to buy this chair, there's a price point in my mind, like, is this a good exchange? Right? When, when I was younger, one of the things that we um, used to uh, play with all the time, and I should have kept them, was baseball cards. So obviously, that's dating me, right? And I had shoeboxes full of baseball cards. And, and we would, um, like, flip baseball cards, and then you'd, like, win baseball cards. Now that I think about it, it was like the start of gambling, right? Probably not the best idea. But there were certain baseball cards, whether it be your favorite player or cards that you knew had a certain level of value that you would never have in your stack of baseball cards that you would flip. Because you knew this card may be worth 50 regular baseball cards. Think about the great exchange. Our sinners, no righteousness in us. From the beginning, as babies, we find ways to get our way, to be selfish, to do what we want, to resist authority. And we grow in that, and we get better at that. And we walk that out to the degree that we are destroying ourselves with the things that we think we want and need. And we intersect with Jesus Christ. And he says, I will take from you your guilt and pay that price and impart in you my righteousness. Wow, the great exchange. That substitution is what the Christian faith rests on. The innocent voluntarily suffers for the guilty. And the guilty is made pure and holy, and they are saved. That's us, saints. Because of God's great divine compassion and love shown for the guilty. Wow. What is that? That is called being reconciled to God. So in the text, we see this word coming up, being reconciled, a relationship being made right, us being moved back to God because God is not the one who violated. In verse 20, it says, therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ since God is making his appeal through us. We plead on Christ's behalf, be reconciled, that God would use us as ambassadors. Whatever your reputation was when you were doing you, whatever your reputation was when you were representing you, and we all know we could attach so many different names to that, 
now you represent Christ as his ambassador in a foreign land. Wow. Verse 19 says, that is in Christ God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespass against them, and he has committed the message of reconciliation to us, that we would go out and do this. Our offended God reconciled us to himself by Jesus Christ. And the results of that is atonement. It ends the estrangement. It ends what sin caused and the separation between God and man. The key is reconciliation here. Because of his rebellion, man was outside of fellowship with God and all of that has changed. That is amazing. When, when we think about this, it, call, it talks to us about us being reconciled to the cross, talks about imputation. That, that word is borrowed from banking. It, it simply means to put in one's account. Right? When you go to the bank and you deposit money into your account, um, the, the clerk enters that information into the computer and, and your account is credited with that. When Jesus died on the cross, all of our sins are imputed to him. It's put on his account. He was treated by God as though he actually committed those sins. The sinless one. And what's the result? All of those sins have been paid for. God no longer holds it against us. He no longer holds it against us when we trust in Jesus. But even more, what is put into your account is the righteousness of Christ. You have made him, Christ, to be sin for us who knew no sin, that we might be the righteousness of God in him. Reconciliation is based on imputation because the demands of God's holy law has been fully met at the cross. God can be reconciled to sinners. It says in verse 18, everything is from God who has reconciled us to himself through Christ and has given us the ministry of reconciliation. Verse 17, therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away and see the new 
has come. Your identity now is tied into the new birth. When, when, when someone gets something, um, a, a, a different position, or, or they move, and we see, or they have on a new suit, and they have this extra, like, you know, uh, a pep in their step, we say, you acting real brand new. Right, right. What we're, what we're saying is, oh, oh, now your status has changed? Well, in this case, absolutely. I, I'm going to be acting real brand new. We do get a fresh start. We get a do-over. You, you know, like when, when we were playing baseball in the park when I was kid, a kid, right, somebody would strike out and it's like, okay, next. But if that guy um, uh, was uh, aggressive and, and other people would um, back down from him, he'd say, do over. Here, we get a do over. The renewed man acts with new principles, by new rules, with new ends, in a new company. That's why we say, come to the lodge after service and fellowship, because we're in new company. We are brothers and sisters in Christ. We have new ends. In other words, before, everything we did was to serve me. Those are no longer our ends. That is not the reason why we live the way, the reason we live and what we live for. We have a new set of rules. We have new principles that we go by because we are God's workmanship created in Christ Jesus onto good works. Though the same as a man, that same man is changed in his character and in his conduct. Verse 16 says, for now on, then we know no one from a worldly perspective. Think about what people were before. We don't know anyone from a worldly perspective anymore. How do we know people now? We know people either as brothers and sisters in Christ or lost sinners. But our other perspective, it's either you were an asset or you were a liability. You were competition that I needed out of my way, or you were someone helping me get to where I wanted to be. We have a new perspective on people. We don't look at them the same way. How do you view people? Because as a believer, we should be looking at brothers and sisters as that or the world as those that are on their way to hell 
and we should have a great compassion for those that are blind, doing blind things. My wife used to have to remind me of that all the time. Someone would do something, I'm like, look at that. It's like, that's the blind being the blind. What do you want? Until I develop, like, all of these manifestations of sin is just that. They're lost. But I've been reconciled to God, and I'm to plead with others, be reconciled. That is the ministry given to us. Not only do we no longer look at anyone from a worldly perspective, but even if we've known Christ from a worldly perspective, yet now we no longer know him that way. When is it that people start thinking about Christ? Well, the baby in the manger. And they're looking at his humanness and have all these ideas on what they think about who he is. And there was a time when we viewed it that way, but no longer. We don't think about the manger as much as we think about the throne room. We, we think about who's on the throne of our hearts, who sits on the throne in heaven, who's coming back and coming back soon. We think about the one who was sinless and became sin for us. The one who is righteous and imparted to us his righteousness. We no longer view him the same way. And one of the things that we must understand about righteousness and what it means to be righteous, if a lost sinner has become saved, through the cross, how can we spend the rest of our lives in selfishness? Too many believers claim to be believers are living for themselves. You know what we do? We start this um, thought about the things we don't do. Well, I no longer do this or go here or speak this way. I, I read my Bible. I, I go to church. Um, I'm in my word. First off, those things that we don't do can only not be done because our hearts have changed. Whatever is going on in here is going to come out of your mouth, is going to be in your mind, is going to manifest itself in your actions, right? So that's where that is. We don't read our word, pray, sing worship songs at home, come to church because we want a good report card from the Lord. That is not why we are here. We are here because we love him. We are here because he put a new song on our hearts because he changed us. Well, guess what? If you've been imparted righteousness, it looks like something. Jesus told a parable in Matthew 25, starting in verse 14, about the talents. It said he gave 
one, five, and another two, and he gave one, one. And then he went away. This master went away, and the one who he gave five multiplied that and had ten. And the other one who he had given uh, uh, two, he, he made four. And the one that he gave one buried it. He, he did nothing with it. And after a long time, that, that master came back. And the, and the one who had doubled his, and the second guy had doubled his, and, and the first guy said, I, I knew who you were, so, so I, I, I buried it. What did he say? You wicked servant. He took what he had. He gave it to the one that has ten. And he told him, you're cast into out of darkness where there'll be wailing and gnashing of teeth. So I'm here to tell you, it's not about these rules you follow. It's not about my church attendance is good. There's no talking about what that guy did other than the fact that he did not do what he was supposed to do. What is God calling you to do? What does it look like to live righteous? Imagine Jesus being righteous, coming to earth, and he didn't do what? he was called to do, what he committed himself to do on the cross. Uh, Imagine that. He lived, could he have even lived a sinless life, but his purpose for being here did not get fulfilled. It does not work that way. So, so, So you may have cleaned up your vocabulary, you, you may be at church and, and reading in, reading your word, but this righteousness imparted onto you. If Jesus was on the cross and he's saying to you, I, I did this for you, go and preach the gospel. Go and make disciples. It it, it wasn't about, hey, watch your mouth, raise your children, love your spouse. Those things are a given. You're an ambassador. I'm sending you on a mission. I've reconciled you. I've given you the ministry of reconciliation. Go to others and plead. Be reconciled to God. If you are not about his business, that guy took that talent and buried him. He gave him back what was his, but what was given to him had responsibility attached to that. If he loved them, he he would have wanted to use what he had for it to prosper. You can come up, worship team. that we could walk in the righteousness of God. He made the one who did not know sin to become sin 
for us so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. He, God, made the sinless one to be sin. He knew no sin. He had no guilt. He was perfect and holy. And we who knew no righteousness, who deserved eternal damnation to be consumed by God's justice. He said, no, not you. I have something for you to do. I'm not only going to take away your guilt and put it on my son, I'm going to send you out. I'm going to impart righteousness on you. I'm going to give you my word. I'm going to put my words in your heart. I'm going to fill you with the Holy Ghost. In the ministry that I'm giving you to go out and do is what I've already done in you. You should be so on fire knowing where he brought you from. We got to walk in that. Would you stand with me, saints? What what we're going to do is we're just going to thank God. That the reputation we had, we no longer have because what God says we are. Because what has been placed in us what has been done for us, that we would live that out. That's to be celebrated. That is to be said, hallelujah, thank you, Lord. I'm going to ask the worship team to, to sing. We're going to open up the altars and just spend a moment in his presence, just reflecting. God, it's not so much about my church attendance and all of those things. That's, that's the nourishment and food that I need to continue to walk out your righteousness in my life. I just want to spend time thanking you, Lord, helping, asking you to help me grow and walking in your ways. Let's just spend some time before him and reflect on the words that God has spoken to each one of us this morning.